Hey there, history fans. Melissa here. I just want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to is one of our older episodes. So the way that we sound here is a bit different from what we sound like today. Over time, we've been able to change our format a bit. We've acquired new editing software as well as new mics. So if the sound quality here isn't to your liking, please feel free to check out any of our newer episodes from Elmer McCurdy or anything from about March 18th up to today. I promise they sound a lot better. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode. We hope you learned something new and we hope to have you back for more episodes as we continue to trek through history to explain it all. Hey there, there history, history fans. <laughs> and welcome to another episode of the History Explains It All podcast. podcast. Come with us as we delve into things new and old. Strange and weird. Exciting. Ooh, and maybe a, a little spooky. Ooh, we like spooky. I'm Lauren. I'm Melissa. And today's episode is all about... Port Arthur, out in Tasmania. However, before we start the, our main episode, we do have our little section called Weird History. Take it away, Melissa. So today is a very interesting one but then again i think they all are interesting (laughs) but this is not this is definitely an obscure one that i had not known about i think you had said that you had heard about this once before so today's weird history is all about mailing children through the post office (laughs) (laughs) yes i only heard about it because i actually went to the natural the smithsonian's postal museum that's how I found out about it. I'd never heard about it, at least until that horrible history sketch, which <laughs> made me want to look more into it because what? <laughs> Mailing children? Yep. It's very odd. All right. So we're going to start this off. So it actually started on January 1st, 1913. And there were certain rules applied at the time. So this is in the U.S. So prior to this day, only packages up to four pounds could be mailed at any given time. So you could mail small packages, but people were saying that's not enough. Now I'm spending more money to spend more things because they have to divvy it up into more than one package. So starting January 1st, 1913, packages could now be going up to 11 pounds. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks into this new sort of regulation, now there were specific regulations as to what you could send through the mail. People obviously were just sending strange things through the mail, and I'll get to that in a minute. But about three or four weeks after this mm-hmm. new updated wait for the post office started going through, an Ohio couple named Jesse and Matilda Beagle mailed 
quote unquote, their eight month old James to his grandmother who lived a few miles away. James was just shy of the 11 pounds and it cost the family 15 cents to mail him. Although they, they did add a $50 insurance on him. <laughs> $50 insurance on your child. That's a lot back then, but at the same time, like what? I mean, 15 cents was a lot back then too. I think the average, I mean, I think maybe it was five cents to mail something that was four pounds. So 11 pounds is 15 cents, but that's, it just boggles my mind to put your child in the mailing system. Like (laughs) what? (laughs) Why? Can you imagine though, that if we had flat rate boxes back then, like we did today and it's, (laughs) (laughs) no, obviously they weren't mailing them in boxes and no, these children were not wrapped up in brown paper with ties bow ties and everything and, and you're tied up with twine no no and i'll we'll have pictures because the pictures are actually rather quite cute but you'll see pictures of mailmen with babies inside their carrier bag no that didn't actually happen because then what if the baby went to use the bathroom inside the diaper bag obviously it would get over everyone's mail so those were just posed pictures but they're super cute no the the mailman this is back when people obviously in much more rural areas and people had a lot more of a trust with their neighbors with their community with their mailmen so if you were say to send your son to his grandmother's house who was 15 miles away you could take him technically to the post office and the postman en route to that area would essentially babysit your kid en route now and we'll get to it in a minute but i kept thinking why would you want to Post your kid, apparently, because plane ticket, plane, plane, train tickets, planes were not invented yet. Train tickets were actually quite expensive to mail an, a single individual, even for a child. So it was far more cheaper for 15 cents rather than several dollars to mail your child. And there is a story about that one. It's really interesting. And so after this was actually in the news with James being sent by mail to his grandmother's to go visit. So after this happened, several children off and on throughout the next few years happened to mail their children. I've got a few more stories. There's one of February 19th in 1914, where four-year-old Charlotte May Petersdorf was mailed via train. This is the one I was talking about. And her story actually became so well-known that there's a children's book that was written about her called Mailing May, which I kind of want to read. I, it's from the time frame, so 1914 or so, so I'm kind of curious in how that reads nowadays. But as I said, postage to mail your child was cheaper than buying an actual train ticket. But she, Charlotte was actually accompanied by a cousin of hers who worked as a clerk at the post office. So he just kind of babysat her on the way down. Mm-hmm. And eventually the, the post, the LA times kept running these stories. So eventually the postmaster general had to make an official declaration. The children could no longer be mailed through the post. <sighs> Uh, Sorry. I don't know if that's a yeah it's just wow just wow <laughs> and eventually people obviously stopped doing it because you had to start applying to be able to send your child through post and applications were being turned down the longest known trip of a child being sent through the post was in 1915 actually for the six-year-old who was mailed 
quote unquote, her child from Florida to Virginia. And which this particular excursion, I guess you could say, was a distance of 720 miles, which is known as it's the longest trip of a child made by the post office. And again, only 15 cents. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. August 15th, I want to say 1915 as well. Uh, three-year-old Maud Smith is the last noted child to have been sent through the mail because the postmaster general actually changed it to obviously no children. His <laughs> actually it was 1920. It was put into official request or official. Mm-hmm. Just it became official in 1920 specifically. Postmaster General John Coons actually rejected two applications stating that the children could not be sent by mail because they were could not be classified as harmless live animals. I, it depends on your age of the child, but I don't know about harmless. Terrible twos are pretty bad. <laughs> Let me just send my terrible twos child through the mail. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. But just to give you the idea of some of the other no. Don't just... mail your child, people. Don't Again, do this is this is back when communities had a lot more trust and the people uh, well, and their also, neighbors. You and just shouldn't be mailing your children. Well, it depends on where you're living and how much you're making. If it's cheaper to have your child accompanied by a mailman for only 15 cents as opposed to several dollars. I still don't agree, but okay. <laughs> They're not in the luggage compartment. They're not in a suitcase. They're not in a box. Are you sure? They're, be- they're being accompanied by an actual person. They're, they're just walking that's the children. Also, that's also a lot of trust that that person isn't going to do horrible things. Well, again, child. though, this was probably rural communities, most of them. And rural communities tend to have a lot more trust in it because you have to rely on people more. That's true. But to give you an idea of some of the things that were also sent through the mail around this time, particularly because now you can actually send larger packages. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I mean, people were sending bees, eggs, bricks, yeah. snakes, dogs, and coffins. Woo-hoo. I don't know if those coffins had actual people in them or they were just empty coffins on the way to somewhere else to pick up the body. Although that was a kind of a common thing. If you had, if you were, if someone died, say at war or died elsewhere and you were having them brought back home for burial, that, that actually was not an uncommon thing. They would just essentially be in the luggage compartment. I just, mm, so many things I could say right now. <laughs> I, I'm going to try and refrain here. Okay. Well, it certainly is weird. I will say that. And that's, one that an I was not aware of. That's an understatement. Weird is an understatement. Yes. But now I definitely want to get uh, or see if I can find a copy of Mailing May and give it a read. See how it, what it, how it reads. Uh, well, if you do, share it with me. <laughs> I'm interested. I- I'll definitely see what I can do. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. So, uh, Mailing Children. So, main episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I guess so we're going from mailing children to mailing convicts. It's not really quite the same, but I'm trying to find a segue. We're we're not mailing convicts. We're shipping convicts across the ocean via ports. Yeah, that works. You know, 
that that's just I, I feel like it's very very different but it's hey much, it's much safer for the children not quite so much safer for the adults we but ship things ahead. across the ocean to this day I mean who knows anymore <laughs> but back in the 1800s convicts were all over the world they still are to this day however at the time people or countries would ship their convicts to other countries oh england's jails were too full let's send them to australia yeah yeah you know the colony at the time of australia you know (laughs) it's under our rule why not it still is it still is that's very true but also you know we don't really care about it so let's just put them there and hope it works (laughs) i guess i don't know (laughs) But originally, there's the island of Tasmania, just south of Australia, and on the island was a tiny peninsula connected by this itty-bitty-bitty bit of land that was known, I think, as the Neck. I think it was just called the Neck. Yeah. And originally, on the island, Port Arthur was originally founded in 1830, but it was a timber station before it was a prison. And, of course, it's a peninsula, little tiny section connecting it to the mainland known as the Neck, like we said, making it perfect place for a ding, ding, ding. Jail. Yay! And, Isolation, always a good place. You know, uh, stick them in the middle of nowhere and hope everything works. <laughs> Does it? No. Does it ever? No. no. So Port Arthur becomes the largest prison, and this is... Port Arthur, the actual prison buildings were finished around 1850. However, it was a penal colony before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have a story from the early penal colony stages about yeah. an escape attempt later on. Yeah. And uh, the, the prison, in order to pay for the prisoners to like house and feed them and clothe them and all that other stuff, well, forced labor. You're a prisoner? Okay, you go to shipbuilding. Okay, you're another prisoner? You go to shoemaking. Okay, you... And they also had flour mills and just anything that would be able to sustain them. It was essentially a self-sustainable community of sorts. That's basically the idea. They created created their own... They they took care of their own livestock. They created their own flour and timber mills and they, they they built their own structures. Yes. Everything was basically done by the labor of the convicts, yeah. Yes. Well, not only that, the labor of the convicts was so darn good. Yeah. I mean, what what did you say about the shit that you told me that like ships, the shipbuilding, they actually had to stop shipbuilding because everyone wanted them to build their ships or something? Yeah. So in the 1840s, the oh actually specifically, so in 1848 specifically. The shipbuilding operations at Port Arthur Jail actually had to be completely ceased because the local shipbuilders, obviously not associated with the jail, were complaining, saying, hey, we're losing business because your convicts are building ships better than ours. And that's not cool. So they need to stop. Well, I mean, really, convicts are building ships better than shipping companies. How sad. But hey, I guess it was functioning. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, these people were private shipbuilders. So they yeah. sort of, I was called a monopoly because it wasn't just one person. But 
they obviously being private company, you're able to make your own prices and having labor off of essentially the backs of convicts made it cheap labor mm-hmm. and made your product cheaper. Made your product cheaper, but also the ships were really darn good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm going to go to the, the cheaper person that's making the, the ship better. Right. That's exactly what the private shipbuilders kept saying. Like, no, they've got to stop. They're better than us and we're losing money. <laughs> and we're gonna we, we, you know private company versus the government we you know we're gonna we're gonna win so government needs to close this all down well they did so um yes yeah, they stopped ship making after that uh but back to the island slash colony penal colony prisoners of course died on this island and uh well they, there was a cemetery on the island called the isle of the dead Great name for a cemetery. The one I live across to, I think, is just called the Rosedale Cemetery. Holy Rood Cemetery. You know, tons yeah. of cemeteries just named after the place that they're at. But this one, the Isle of the Dead. I mean, I guess you go to the prison to die? I don't really know. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it kind of is the Isle of the Dead in that sense. But this was the prison that tons of people were sent to. And it was actually considered one impossible to escape from. I think Port Arthur is actually, if, if it's not the most famous jail in all of Australia, it's definitely one of the most famous jails in all of Australia. That's true. I think so. I mean, it's also, Tasmania is an island. It's not part of the mainland Australia. That's like yeah. being in a prison colony on the Florida Keys. Hey. you're still isolated and you're still and, and you're in, you're you're on an island but a very small one now mind you tasmania is much bigger than the keys I and mean, key west itself the key is maybe five by five miles around it's it's tiny but it's still you're not part of the mainland and in the 1840s and 50s it's still very rural yep that's very true, and but also you know, it it was not only that it was a it was a pretty large prison. Yeah, eventually it, it ended up housing. So when it first opened up around it, like the the as as an official jail before the official building I think was completed. So around eighteen forty one, the population was around fifteen hundred, and three years later, by eighteen forty four, it had nearly tripled or sorry it, it more than doubled no, 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 to 3500 mm-hmm. sorry I'm gonna go turn that off thought I put it on silent okay sorry about that guys I forgot to silence my phone thought I had this prison is large it's supposedly inescapable which <laughs> not true there were several escape attempts and actually some that were known to successfully escape Port Earth. But before we go into all the escapes, we have some stories for y'all. Uh, in 1877, so the prison really only lasted between 20 to 30 years, was shut down and the area around it was turned into a town. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, however, you know, of course, fires occurred in 1895 and 1897, and the original prison buildings that were still there actually were burnt to the ground. I think most of them were burnt to the ground, but not necessarily all of them because yeah. they, so what's interesting, although maybe I, it's not as interesting as I think it is, because it doesn't sound very surprising to me, but not too long after the closing of the jail, officially in 1877, tourists started coming by to wanting to view it because it definitely had a reputation for being a hell on earth. And we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But so the town that built up around it decided to say, well, people want to come take a look at this. Why not make some money off of it? So they, I mean, it's already, people are already coming to essentially as a tourist attraction. So let's make it an official tourist attraction. So by the twenties and the thirties, the Port Arthur had the area around it had developed hotels, museums, guides, and then, actually the catering of tourism to the jail itself. And then in 18, sorry, 1987, it began to be managed by the Port Arthur Historical Site Management Authority, which I believe still runs it to this day. So I think that's, uh, for the U.S., I think that would be something similar to our National Registry of Historic Places. Yeah, it's the National Register of Historic Places, which, you know, it's kind of like the national version of UNESCO. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's nationally protected and protected pieces, which is what Port, Ar Port Arthur is today just for Australia. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's a huge tourist site even to this day. And uh, we're going to give a mention of... Uh, a very sad occurrence that happened in 1996 on, in Port Arthur. A man named Martin, Martin Bryant drove to the island and opened fire in the gift shop and cafe and killed 35 people there. Yeah. It's really sad. Uh, he is in prison, I think you said. He was caught. He didn't kill himself. No, no, he didn't. He didn't kill himself while on scene. He was caught and arrested, and is serving life sentences. Thirty up. To, I think he's serving actual thirty-five life sentences for every person he opened and killed, unfortunately. But it has also become a memorial spot. So we just have yeah. this senseless murder spree. Uh, I, I mean, massacre, killing spree, spree killer, whatever you want to call it. But they actually creating a monument to this really tragic event. They actually tore down the original cafe and mm -hmm. then erected a, a monument to those victims uh, on the original site of the actual cafe where they had died. Yeah. So there, there is a new cafe there, but it's just in a new location. And I think the gift shop is in a new location too. I think so. Yeah. But back to the prison itself, the history of the prison. So the prison of Port Arthur was based off of actually, the, the system was based off of a man named Jeremy Bentham, his theory known as Panopticon. And this was, quote, the right of the state to observe and control their prison population, end quote. I feel like we still follow that to this very day. Sounds like every jail. Yeah, that I, I feel like it was, this is like maybe the start 
of the bases of Panopticon. Which kept, every time you say that, I think of Nepcronomicon. <laughs> <laughs> Not completely related at all, but... I don't know how you get that out of Panopticon. I think it's the Opticon, Necronomicon, uh, anyway. It's, it's the just con me. part. But um, also, uh, Port Arthur's treatment of their convicts was really screwy. And they mentally messed with them. You know, they're, they're convicts. Why not just mess with their minds? Screw them. So they created the system, which I think still applies to some places today, too, of giving a prisoner a reward of food if they worked for it, if they did everything right, if they didn't do something. And they also did the opposite for punishment, where if you did something wrong, you would get just enough food and just enough nutrition to keep you alive. I mean, pretty screwy. But they also had another tactic, which was hugely unsuccessful, we, we still use the tactic of solitary confinement to this day. However, Port Arthur took it an extra step. And that was, they, they would not only put convicts into solitary confinement, but they would also place a hood over their head. Well, that's bad enough. I mean, solitary but, confinement is bad enough. Yeah. Uh, to give, in case anyone doesn't know, the, I think the origins of solitary confinement at least that I'm aware of, uh, Eastern State Penitentiary, if I'm remembering correctly, was founded by Quakers as a, a penitentiary. It's not a jail. It was really more like a reformatory. And solitary confinement was a major way of dealing with offenders. And the point was to put them in a room by themselves to allow them to think upon their actions, to reflect on making amends uh, and, and things like that, usually asking God for forgiveness and things like that, that was part of their religion. And that's, a, if you look at Eastern State, a lot of the rooms are solitary rooms. So you would be in, and now some of, I think some of them still had windows. So it wasn't completely dark because you do need some sunlight or else it doesn't end well, but it didn't end well anyway. No, it never did. I mean, we still do solitary confinement to this day. And still, even to this day, depending on what jail you're at, solitary confinement for a prisoner could be 23 out of 24 hours. You get one hour a day to be out of your cell, not necessarily to socialize. You just get out of your cell, whether you're going to get food from the cafeteria if food isn't brought to you or you're going out to the yard to get exercise. But for anyone in solitary confinement, at least in the U.S., if it's it's usually 23 out of 24 hours for however determined a period of time. But I do know that there were other places. I don't remember the name of the jail, but I know there was one in Oregon. Most of this was in the late 1800s where they would actually have areas called the hole or various terms of that where it was – like a well or at least an underground solitary confinement space where, and our jail cells are very big. Our jail cells are maybe five feet by eight feet. They're not very big. So imagine usually the hole or anything similar was probably smaller than that. Maybe standing room only. So you wouldn't actually be able to, to sit or let, let alone lie down. 
but it drove people crazy. I mean, you're in a darkened hole with no sunlight. And sometimes you'd be in there for days, let alone hours at a time. Yeah. And you're tied up. You basically can't do anything. Well, maybe at Port Arthur. I don't know about the other jails in the U.S. But... Yeah. But now imagine that with a hood over your face. Whatever little sunlight you thought you might be able to reach, you definitely can't now. And that literally drove the convicts insane. And many of the prisoners that were actually placed in solitary confinement with this hood over their head actually were went to the asylum that was on the prison grounds. They had to take in several of these prisoners because they they went nuts humans are social creatures except for maybe a few rare people yeah but humans are social they need social interaction and i mean i mean think of, okay i mean i mean even even during the pandemic everyone's we've all been going you know, kind of cuckoo going crazy i mean i remember when we first started out here it was just the first two weeks we were out of work and then I went stir crazy because I'm a very social person. I need uh-huh. to be around people. And I was like, I, I can't leave my house. I can't talk to people. I can't, you know, I could talk to people over the phone, but it's not the same thing. I was going nuts. Yeah. I remember that. It's not, nowhere near the same as jail, solitary confinement, but humans by nature are social. Yeah. And if you, are by yourself in a darkened room for hours or days at a time, not allowed to speak to people, it will drive you crazy. It breaks literally. you. Literally. It, it breaks will literally, your brain. Yeah, it breaks your mind. And, and that's exactly what Port Arthur did to its convicts. It was a horrible, horrible place. But, however, there were escape attempts. Well, so of course there would that. be. <laughs> Let's go into funny escape attempts. Uh, you want to take it off with the are the most famous one? Yes. Take so i would heard about this one. I don't even know how long ago. To me, this has always been the most famous escape attempt from Port Arthur. But if there's more famous ones, let just let us know. But I'd sure, always heard hear about I'd always heard about Billy Hunt and <laughs> his kangaroo attempt. And mm-hmm. oh, I would just love to see a recreation of this in some way. I'm, I'm just not an actual person, but maybe. It, it's just, it's a funny story. So there was a convict named George Billy Hunt. Billy was his nickname. And he, if you could get past the neck, as we were talking about, mm-hmm. which is, if you can get out of the jail, get past the neck, you're pretty much home free. free. Yeah. Because <laughs> after that, no one's really going to be able to sort of get, get you. And kangaroos are pretty prevalent in Australia. Mm-hmm. This is the 1840s to the 1870s. They're probably much more prevalent <laughs> because population was a lot less. True. <laughs> population so, of humans was a lot less. Right. So I'm trying to wonder how Billy Hunt got a hold of a kangaroo pelt. It probably somehow. got left lying around after they skinned it for meat. That maybe, would be my theory. Maybe, or it, somebody had it somewhere in their office. I, I don't know. I couldn't find any information on that. But somehow he got a hold of a kangaroo hide, a full-on one, decided to disguise himself inside the hide, pretending to be a kangaroo, and hop out of the jail. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, obviously, it didn't work. 
but it would still be funny. Now, there's two different stories I've heard about how he got recaptured. So either the guards who shot at him thought, hey, a kangaroo, let's get some target practice in. Or two, hey, we're really hungry because there's not enough food. Oh, look, food. And then shot at the kang- what they thought was a kangaroo. Turns out after they shot at what they thought was a kangaroo, Billy Hunt decided to say, okay, uh, you know, I'm not really a kangaroo, guys. Uh, okay, I'll go back. Uh, this, this, this obviously is not working. And he was taken back to jail. And was given 150 lashes. And I couldn't find whether that was just a regular whip or cat of nine tails or something similar to that. But 150 is insane. Five is bad. Five can cause some damage. 50 can cause infection. And death. Uh, 50 and, could, and 50, bleeding even, to death. Even, even 50 could cause death. 150 is... I mean, you're lucky to survive 50. 150 could certainly kill you. Yeah. And if, especially if they didn't do anything like what we did out here in some of our jails, where some of the more sadistic people at certain jails at certain times would actually take a whip that was coated in salt water and Ooh. then whip you with it. Ouch. Just to make it worse. Ooh, I'm just, I feel stinging now just from that image. <sighs> Ouch. Oh, just, just, I mean, mm. the things well, people do to each other. Oh, well, escape number two, or was it number one? Because I think it happened before Billy Hunt, but yeah, it's number two on the list. Go ahead. Whatever. Did you ever hear about the escape in the washing tub? No. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, so in 1843, a ship called the Maitland was transporting convicts across the ocean to Australia. And one of the convicts decided that if he hid in the cargo hold of the ship, he, if, if he, people would think he had died and they had you know, buried him overboard because that's how you bury people at sea, you throw them overboard, right? Or he had escaped and jumped off the ship and tried to swim to freedom and probably died, right? Well, uh, he was actually just hiding in the hold the whole time. And he was actually discovered in the hold. He, he had hid for a good period of time at this point. And he was discovered in the hold and actually w- was taken as a convict to Port Arthur. And he made a second attempt. What he did was he took a wash basin or tub at the time and attempted to escape via the sea in this tub. <laughs> yes now now i'm imagining i mean okay so this is the 1800s obviously it's not a a bathroom tub like we're thinking now but i'm thinking the old time tin tubs where you would probably do your laundry in or bathe a baby in but obviously a bit bigger it's probably enough where you can i'm thinking of those ones where it's like a wooden one it could be metal at this point where you're sitting and you can literally like sit down with your knees to your chest kind of situation Mm. that's what i'm thinking but it didn't specify the size that my source didn't specify the size or, or anything of the wash basin so after the escape attempt there's we we don't even know what happened to this person because well he he could have drowned at sea. He could have frozen. He could have made it. We we have no clue. 
I mean, and keep in mind, Tasmania is south of Melbourne. Melbourne already gets cold. I know. Tasmania is south. south and I wouldn't say it's exactly the middle between Melbourne and Antarctica, mm-hmm. but it's pretty south. And the waters are cold and probably choppy. And I'm, I think you said at one point somewhere in your notes, you said you had there, there were sharks. Yeah, so like when the waters get warmer, supposedly it becomes shark infested. Not safe. <laughs> I, would, I would probably, I would probably akin escaping poor Arthur might be something similar to trying to escape Alcatraz. Ooh, fun times! Yay! It's not a. Let's attempt a, this. Jeez. Yeah. Nope. No thanks. But uh, I have one more, one more to tell if if that's okay. And then I think you said you had another one, right? Yeah, I have an actual a story from an actual book. So go ahead and tell yours, and oh, I'll, I'll freeze into mine. Yeah. Okay. So this was considered hell. Port Arthur was considered hell, and I I can understand why. And there were actually several Catholic convicts, and they actually wanted to commit suicide. However, if you committed suicide in Catholicism, you went straight down to the devil. You went to hell. You still do, according to Catholicism. So to avoid that, there was a plan hatched among four prisoners. Don't know if they were all Catholic or not. I'm kind of going to assume no. But this plan stated one would be a murderer. One would be the murdered, which would normally be the Catholic person. And the other two would be witnesses. So the Catholic person would be murdered by somebody, I'm going to assume non-Catholic, because if you commit murder, you also go to hell. Uh, the, and, someone, and that non-Catholic would murder the Catholic, and, and that would give them their escape from the colony of hell, I guess you could call it. And the murderer would be put on trial for murder, of course, and he would be condemned to death, so he'd get his escape through death. And the other two would have a slight vacation in order to have to appear in court at the trials to say, yes, we have witnessed him murder that one who is now dead. And by vacation, we're talking, you're either going to probably the Hobart or going to Sydney for trial. And if you're going to Sydney, it's definitely a bit of a vacation because Sydney's quite a while away from Hobart. You're not even on the same island. Or Port Arthur. Yeah. Well, Port Arthur and Hobart are... I'm, well, they're, they're on Tasmania. They're both on Tasmania. But Sydney, uh, Sydney is, is a, in the middle of the coast of Australia. Of Australia. <laughs> so, like, you actually... And, of course, in this time, there's no such thing as a plane. You have to go by ship. Mm-hmm. So, you've got quite a vacation on your hands when you have to go to Sydney. So, it gave them a break from being at the Port Arthur prison. I mean, it's kind of clever, actually. It's just so sad. So sad. The the lengths people will go to to escape hell, mm-hmm. even if it's a hell on earth. Hell is hell. Doesn't matter which version it is. Your turn. <laughs> What's yours? I want to hear so this one. Mine's an interesting one. I kind of want to read this book. So mine's a story from a book called Escape from Port Arthur by Ian Brand. And this story takes place in 1839. So this is the very early days of the penal settlement. So the uh, jail officially hadn't been 
created? You said it was 1853 when the jail was officially opened? 1853, 1854 is when the buildings were, like, completed and everything. Mm-hmm. So this would have been before uh, probably more, at least an official building for it, but it was definitely certainly a penal colony. But even by 1839, obviously it had a reputation of being a difficult place to, to be in, to live in, to be a convict in. So this is the story of eight men and their very unusual journey and their escape attempt. So the group consisted of Thomas Walker, John Thomas, James Wolfe, George Moss, Henry Dixon, John Jones, Nicholas Lewis, and James County. Mm-hmm. And essentially what the three of them did, so it was actually a really simple plan. Typically when someone left the island to either take a prisoner's to be to for, for trial or someone was coming in and out they would be traveling by boat obviously so they would always be traveled with a guard and typically most escape attempts were done at night so that the guards obviously couldn't see you because they didn't have electricity it was all firelight but this brazen group of eight men decided to do a daybreak So on the morning of February 13th, 1839, there was a momentary absence of the sentry and all eight men decided to break for it. They grabbed the first ship that they saw and essentially just got the the hell out of Dodge, trying to make it as far away as possible, as quickly as possible. And the ship that they actually took was the Commandant's whaling ship. Not the smartest of moves. <laughs> so as soon as they, as soon as it was noticed that this particular ship was missing, the commandant actually sent out a second whaling ship and said, hey, uh, yeah, go after these guys. So they went on, they pursued, the, the second whaling ship pursued the first whaling ship for about five hours. And eventually 30 miles offshore, and out of sight, they lost, obviously, sight of the escapees. And to give an idea about the whaling ship, whaling ships aren't huge ships. They, it's not uh, It's not a giant, like, three-mast and army ship. So, obviously, you had eight men escape. And so they put an APB out and said, if anyone sees these guys capture immediately, they need to be brought back. And... The whaling ship, just to give you an idea, it's 33 feet long, painted black, a red stripe around the middle of it. And then it's actually white from the keel up to the waterline. So for the lower half of the ship is painted white. And there are technically five masts. There's the jib, the lug sail, the spirit sail, and the mizzen mast. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's specifically made for capturing and killing whales. It's a whaling ship. It's, It's big, but it's not, it's not a dinghy. But it's also not a big, you know, it's not the HMS Victory. It's not a gunning ship is what it sounds like. No, it's not. It's not a man of war by any means whatsoever. So for the next three weeks, no one saw these guys. And essentially what was found out is that they would go in inlets and in around the, they kept going south. And I could think, why would you go south? It's colder. Mind you, it's February. Now, we think February here in the States, and at least in the Northern Hemisphere, February 
it's cold, it's winter, but obviously this is February in the Southern Hemisphere. So warm, maybe? I don't know. Next time we talk to Matt, who lives in Melbourne, we'll see what February is like on the average there. <laughs> but they go in and out of inlets and essentially subside off of what they can find, whether they kill local food or anything they can do to survive. There are a couple instances that are listed where they've actually broken into residents' houses and stole food, clothing, and even ammunition. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of them was a man named Mr. Davies at George's River that they actually robbed him. And then they were actually seen on the 26th of March. There was a telegraphic message that was sent to Port Arthur saying, we've seen these guys. And then a week, so on April 5th is when they actually robbed Mr. Davies. And a week before that, so the week of the 26th of March, on Flinders, which is, I believe, still, I have to look at the map. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe that's in the south of Tasmania, they were, one of the men was actually recognized as being one of the escapees and was actually apprehended. That was Nicholas Lewis. And not too long after that, the remaining seven were actually captured. Not all at once, it was staggered. But on May 12th, Commander Roach of New South Wales said actually he saw a whaling ship with seven men in it. And then not too long after that, the rest of the seven were eventually all captured. So this entire journey, and there's a map actually that I found that shows you their route that they tried to escape, was three months long and a journey of about a thousand miles on the open ocean of sorts. (laughs) And an open boat too. I mean, just, just wow. The things you do to escape (laughs) <laughs> wow so but eventually they were all captured though not all all of them went back to port arthur some of them were in prisons in prison thank you <laughs> uh, at various other jails uh two of them actually so uh walker and henry dixon both died at the uh a hospital a in Hobart. Actually, Walker died on Christmas Eve in 1839 and Henry Dixon died not too long after that. And then John Thomas was, for some reason, so Nicholas Lewis was captured separately and the other seven were all captured and around the same time. But John Thomas was, for some reason, tried separately from the other seven. Not really quite sure why. And then he was also discharged. After a failed escape attempt. Yeah, that's... I. There's no reason as to why, but he was discharged. Hmm. Don't know why. So then Jones, Lewis, Moss, Wolf, and County were all tried at the Hobart Supreme Court on February 20th, 1840. So roughly a year from their first escape attempt. And again, they've robbed people and they escaped from jail. Uh, You know, it's just... Stole a pair of trousers. (laughs) Well, I was getting to that. You're jumping ahead. Oh. <laughs> so, all five of those men, Jones, Lewis, Moss, Wolf, and County, were all charged with absconsion, which so they were charged with escape from jail and also all charged with stealing a pair of trousers. <laughs> not the robbing, not the looting, not the assaults. Just a pair of trousers. But a pair, stealing a pair of trousers. Must have been some pair of trousers. <laughs> <laughs> they stole a single pair of trousers yeah. and were convicted so, of the trousers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Ian Brand actually specifically says this leaning and seek was unusual at the time, and the reason is unknown. Yep. Well, I wonder. I wonder why the reason is unknown. Is it because we don't have any record of the reason? Eh, not everything went into court documents. That's true. Exactly. That's my point. Mm-hmm. And especially if they wanted to keep the reasoning on the down low or something. If that was, was something. If that was. If it was like something else that technically wouldn't have gone along with the court. I have no idea, but I don't know that we'll ever know. Theories, but theory. I mean, that's just a misdemeanor compared to actually escaping jail. Yeah. And escaping Port Arthur with all the jails. Just you, you're, if you're in Port Arthur because you're a violent criminal and or repeat offender. Yes. So what you, you <laughs> have to do something pretty bad to get into Port Arthur in the first place. And the fact that you did... And then you just get charged with stealing a pair of trousers. Means that that should be the most insignificant thing on your rap sheet. <laughs> well, uh, there's, I'll get to, so there's actually one of the seven who has quite a rap sheet. Oh, Lord. So, as I said, some of them died in, uh, in hospital. Some of them died in uh, separate prisons, and some were taken back to Port Arthur. James Wolfe whose alias was also known as Mordecai. He was... Alias was Mordecai? Mordecai. So, okay. Weird, but okay. Popular name at the time? I don't know. Victorian names are quite fascinating. So that could have been a popular name. Uh, That could be... We could do a whole episode just on Victorian names. So (laughs) let's not. I won't do that now because I don't have any off the top of my head. But there are definitely some very interesting ones. But so James Wolfe actually, he was on Norfolk Island. And so June 21st, 1842, he decided to escape from where he was currently imprisoned. And actually ended up sort of in a a, a battle. Um, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, so there was mutineers and soldiers, and it was it was a little sea skirmish, I guess. So you can see, I don't know about more of a battle, really. But Wolf actually saved the lives of one of the soldiers who was actually fighting against him, mm-hmm. and he was given a reduced sentence for that. Instead of being killed or at least having the death sentence, his sentence was commuted to transportation for life, and then he was later sent to Port Arthur from Norfolk Island. Mm-hmm. And in 1844, he was released, but then continued to commit crimes. <laughs> if you're a repeat offender, you you know, that's, that's not unsurprising. And he was actually later <clears throat> excuse me, sentenced to a third life sentence for assault with a knife. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, bad. Mm-hmm. Bad. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad. And Ian Brand actually writes that in the Comptroller General's convicts report on the 10th of March 1848 James Wolfe is specifically listed as one of the most notorious prisoners at Port Arthur wow well I guess I guess if you're famous at Port Arthur you made it (laughs) (laughs) good or bad when you're in Port Arthur does it really matter I don't know if there's really any good yeah hence does it really matter (laughs) no I guess not (laughs) But, I mean, she's Louise. But, um, I don't, that's all I've got for today's episode. <laughs> oh, except I did look up Flinders Island, by the way. It's actually yeah. north. It's between Victoria and, I mean, it's between Victoria in Australia 
and Tasmania. It's in the Bass Strait. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's north. Ooh, interesting. The report said they sailed southwest or southward. Uh, well, are you talking about, is it Flinders Island or is it like Flinders City and I misheard? Um, give me a second. Oh. I see Hobart. Well, I wonder if what they did was they like sailed around the island and they, they just ended up going north and then they hit Flinders. It's, it's probable. I'm not looking at my map at the moment. Well, I, I'm looking at an updated map that's today. It could be, you know, have changed, names change and stuff like that over history. No, I had a, a map with the actual the route. Yeah, I know. I'm, that I took. I'm saying I'm looking at the modern map. I'm saying my version could be wrong. Well, give me a second. And I'll see if I can find it on mine. I can type. You can type or you can't type? Not really. Just just struggling there. We're struggling, guys. Life struggles. There it is. Click on it. Map, 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 map. Number nine. Flinders. Yeah, no, Flinders is actually... Yeah, no, they made it all the way. So they, what they did was they went around the island of Tasmania. Well, Sort of. They went around almost the entire island. So Port Arthur on this map is number one. We'll have a listed. So Port Arthur is down towards the south of the island. East, southeast corner of sorts of the island. And they went around all the way to the other side towards the middle of the west coast. And then back around and then went up north towards Flinders. It's very crazy. That That's an interesting route. But I mean, they're probably just trying to follow land so that it, they don't get lost at sea. That's what I would think. I would think so, too. Because I, I wouldn't want to get lost at sea. Not in those, we- uh, not in those waters, I wouldn't want mm-mm, to. Because j- if, if you're not careful, you're going to sound... So you're going to sail south towards the Antarctic, and you are not clothingly prepared for that. You, you, no one's prepared for the Antarctic. Not in Victoria times. You, you, I barely think we're prepared during these times. <laughs> the technology and the clothing is far better now, though. That's true. I still don't think we're anywhere near prepared. (laughs) Well, that's all I have on my portion of Port Arthur. That's all I have as well. I did want to make an announcement before we go, guys. So just so you know, on Christmas week, we will not be having our regular episode. We will be having a Christmas special. (laughs) So... That's actually going to come out the day of Christmas Eve. So that'll be the 24th of December. Okay. And it's going to come out early. We're going to put it out in the morning. So you guys don't have to worry about it later in the day. And we're going to have that Christmas special on. You want to tell them? You want to tell them? You want to tell them? Do we want to tell them or do we want it to be a surprise? Eh, we should probably tell them. Go ahead. Charles Dickens. Not, and not just Charles Dickens, but his, because, I mean, the whole point of the Christmas story is also a tradition that you would tell ghost stories on Christmas or yeah. around Christmas. At least in England it was. And so it's not just an episode on Charles Dickens, but his impact on literature as well, too. And and the whole Christmas culture. Yes. So it, we're going to really hone in on that. And we, it's going to be put out on the 24th in the morning. 
And we hope you get to join us for that in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks? It's more than a month away. A couple of weeks, a month, whatever. It's pandemic. Every day feels like forever. <laughs> Do I have to go into details on this? <laughs> but uh, you know how you can reach us. Facebook, History Explains It All. Uh, email is historyexplainsall at gmail.com. Our Instagram is History Explains It All underscore podcast. Uh, I post there every uh, every other day, excluding the weekends. So Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, I try and post there. I'm sorry I haven't been great this past week since Halloween, but I'm going to get back on top of that. And we're actually, I'm actually going to start posting a this day in history segment kind of thing where I'll give you on this day, this happened in history. So that's going to happen every other week as well. So it's going to kind of be during that off week that I post those. And uh, we hope that you get to join us and please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And any kind of comments, uh, reviews are always great. That's how people can find us. Mm -hmm. Again, otherwise, we're just two people sitting in a room talking to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, hanging out in my room. But now that you don't live near here anymore, we're actually just talking over online. <laughs> but well, and then we're both sitting in our own rooms. Well, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pandemic had an effect on me. <laughs> but yes, I still live in Southern California, though, guys. So I'm still not that far away. Not that far away. But please reach out to us. We want to hear from y'all. Any feedback that you can give us. And if you know of anything that you're like, we want you to hear an episode on this subject. We want to know what you want to hear about too. So please reach out to us. And we hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Yes. And you're going to hear from us just before Thanksgiving. But just in case you don't, uh, happy holidays to everybody. Oh, yes. Uh, So our Thanksgiving episode, of course, this is it. It's coming out on the 25th. But by the time you hear that, it'll already be out. So (laughs) sorry. I'll make an announcement on Instagram and Facebook. So Sounds good. Happy holidays, guys. Happy Turkey Day. Go eat lots of turkey. And then sleep it all off. Duh. And then eat a turkey sandwich the next day with all the goodness. Mmm, tryptophan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And Um, on that note. Bye! Bye!